0: In this episode of Board Game Impact, we're going to be talking about all the great games we've been playing lately, so stay tuned. Welcome to the 51st episode of Board Game Impact. That is crazy. My name is Bruce, and of course, I'm always joined by... This is Josh and Josh. Episode fifty-one. We're kicking off into the next fifty to that hundred mark, at least, right?
1: Absolutely, that is the goal. Now I'm sitting here kicking myself and realizing this should have just been a review of fifty-first state (laughs) or all the (laughs) alien-themed board games. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Um, as somebody who's
0: been watching a lot, maybe maybe too much Stargate SG-1 lately, I think yeah, that would be very fitting. Yeah, we should have thought about that, but hey. As we promised in the last episode, Josh, just to hold us to our word, we said we're going to talk about some of the great games we've been playing lately. So we got to do this one for the listeners, right? Absolutely. All right. So with that. If this is your first time listening to Board Game Impact, what we're doing is both Josh and I both work in higher education. I teach for a university. I'm getting a PhD. And we take those leadership lessons and those lessons from what we are seeing from our educational lenses within board games and bring that out for you and to talk to you about those experiences so that way you can make informed decisions for yourself in this great hobby as well as for your gaming group. Um, so real quick, I just want to give a quick note, um, that if that sounds like something of interest to you, then make sure to subscribe, but about halfway through the show, we're also going to be announcing who won that giveaway that we were doing, uh, for a miniature market gift card. Um, and so just stay tuned to listen to that. And then after this episode airs, we're going to be emailing you. So just in case you don't hear it, we're going to, we are going to be emailing it out. So stay tuned to hear if it's you live. Um, okay, Josh, we said we've been doing a lot lately and we said in the last episode like i just said that we were going to talk about some games we've been playing recently um and so despite everything going on in the world yeah we're still playing games actually from the looks of it and this google doc we have in front of us a decent (laughs) number um so what what do you what do you want to say before we get kicked off and then maybe where should
1: we start well and Bruce, I I just want to say I I trimmed this list down pretty, pretty, pretty much uh, pretty well. And so, yeah, we've definitely been getting uh, I've been getting quite a bit of gameplay in. Uh, Obviously, miles may vary for uh, different folks, given the state of the world that we are in right now. And so recognizing that I've been pretty lucky uh, in regards to the way in which I've been able to organize game nights with uh, a small group of friends who kind of have agreed to come together and, and make a kind of socially distanced game night happen uh, where we're all working from home. So we'd kind of have created this mini uh, bubble bubble for ourselves. Um, And so I do want to recognize, and as we have been for, almost a year now, acknowledging that not everyone has quite the same opportunities and such. But I'm very excited to talk about some of these, especially some of the newer games that that I've had a chance to get to the table recently.
0: Yeah, uh, me too. And uh, uh, for me, just full transparency, we always love to address our positionality with things. So our perspectives and things that might be influencing all this. I've been playing all these at home um, and it's only it's all been two player for me. Um, for the games we're about to talk about. Um, so just know that. Now, some of these games might shine even more um, or shine differently um, when at higher player counts. So do just know that. So speaking of which, um, where do you think we should start, Josh? Maybe well, the-
1: Bruce, let's uh, let's start with yours. You've got quite a few on I there do. that I <laughs> am dying to talk about.
0: Okay. Um, so let's start with... Um, actually, let's start here. Uh, I think it's been a little bit since we've had this kind of conversation, and I think it's important to remind our listeners, again, hashtag not a Stonemeyer podcast. (laughs) Um, But if you're listening to this at at the time of this uh, going live on Tuesday the 2nd, on the 3rd, uh, Jamie Stegmeyer is going to be making an announcement of the Codename Gold, so a brand new game coming out from them, from Stonemeyer Games. Um, So do look over there on his blog, usually about 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, and you'll be able to see what the new game from them coming out is. Uh, But with that, I have been playing a decent number of times now. Tapestry has come back to the table for me. Um, Specifically, we've been playing with the Plans and Ploys expansion, which just came out uh, this past fall. Um, So if you're not familiar with Tapestry, Tapestry is a very light, very light Civ building game. Now, it's really not a Civ game. I'm just saying Civ building game. Uh, How it works is around the board, there's four different tracks, a military one, a science one, a technology one, and an exploration one. And then there's this uh, board, hex board in the center where you're going to be able to actually explore that little board. And you've got your own little player area. That's your little civilization. So you're going to be able to build different things and improve your little community and unlock different powers and stuff for your community this is a very very quick synopsis on this uh but essentially what it is is you move up on a track um each turn uh, and you get to choose which of the four tracks you want to move up and then when you run out of resources to do that you take an inventory turn which sets you up for the next phase of your game uh, because you might be in a different era than somebody else Um, so it's kind of cool like that Uh, But the plans employs expansion. So if you're familiar with Tapestry and wondering what the heck this adds in, it's a small box expansion, but it's got a lot going on. So in the base game of Tapestry, I think it's got 16 different factions um, that you can mix up and you get dealt one with your civilization. Uh, And this one adds in about another um, 10-ish. I think I've got 23. So actually, what would that be? Eight-ish. So... Now we've got this plethora, literally, of different civilizations that might come to play in a really cool way. It also adds in a couple more space tiles for when you eventually, if you get to explore space, it adds in a couple other tiles. It adds in a bag to hold all of the tiles for exploration so you don't have these like weird stacks and you're trying to not flip one over. You can just reach in the bag and pull one out, which, like, that's super helpful. Uh, But my favorite part about it is at the beginning of the game, you get dealt a a card related to a single other building. Um, So this is a private building that only you will get to build in your little civilization mat. And what's cool about it, it's like your own little goal, Um, a secret little thing that only gets unlocked when it gets unlocked for you. Um, So they're all slightly different, uh, but they all take up about the same amount of squares on your little grid. Uh, But it adds in this nice little fun flavor of I got to do something special that no one else got to do. Now, that might sound a little selfish, but it made my board really cool. And the latest game I played, that little thing I got to build was a game store. So yes, my civilization had a little board game store. Of course it did. Um, But yeah, Josh, I know you've played Tapestry. I'm curious, what are you kind of curious about what this is bringing out for me?
1: Yeah, I I love Tapestry. I think Tapestry is a great design. I would echo what you said about it being a very light, um, I I would argue not really a civilization uh, right. game. I agree, uh, though that is how it is marketed. But uh, I, I think it's still an excellent game design, um, and, and and so I do think one of the the neat things that they did in this is the private building, uh, w- which you hit on, and and that's something that I really am looking forward to seeing how that plays out because the one of the big issues that i've had playing that game especially at a higher player count like the 3 4 player count mm-hmm. is you you can get really unlucky with those technology cards right you can just there cuz there are some technology cards that have private buildings on them as well and you can just get really unlucky where none of those cards are ever available when it comes to your turn because they keep getting snatched up by other players. And right. so I, I think that it's kind of nice to give you a guaranteed private building for you to to start the game with and to kind of work towards uh, fitting that into your little Tetris uh Board that you have for your your civilization and so definitely something that that i I picked up plans employ um oh you did I awesome. got a copy actually got a copy for for christmas um from from my parents uh so very very excited to to get to try it. I have not had a chance to get it to the table yet okay. but it is definitely on my short list uh from the holidays that i I need to get to the table still um I'm also very interested to see and, and I don't know if you've played with the new factions versus the older factions, but yes. really interested to see how those new factions integrate um, into the game.
0: Yeah. So what we did, that's a great question, Josh. So what we did is we um, when when my wife and I were first playing it because I'd played this three player, four player game nights um, in the past. And when I brought this out, I'm like, let's just start with the recommended set of factions. And I dealt those out and we got to choose. Um, just to teach the game, right? And she loved it. I mean, she loved the moving up on the different tracks or trying to do area control. And then she particularly loved um, having... So your little civilization, mat, those buildings, you actually have this grid. And it's almost like looking at, a, at filling in holes on a Tetris board a little bit. Um, and so what you're trying to do is fill in all the boxes as much as you can, because you're getting a lot of points for that, theoretically. And so that little puzzle... Um, she really liked a lot. um, And so that was kind of fun to have that be brought out for her. And so when you talk about the new factions, there are some factions that, honestly, I just got to say this, I didn't really find playable with two-player. And so, because what we did is we took all the new ones and we did a game of just new factions and split it in half, gave it to each of us. And so there's ones, I believe they're the Spies, which work on like doing stuff with your neighbor's boards. Mm. Well, I have one neighbor, right? So I didn't choose that faction because I'm like, you know, if I played this three player, I'd be able to choose between two people. And I could see that faction being very different at a higher player count. And so I honestly think that there's some factions that because we were playing it at two player, I didn't find them as usable. Um, and so what I would recommend is just dealing everybody more than one or two, like even the rules say you should deal them a couple, um, to choose from. And then choosing based on your player count, uh, ones that might bring out a little bit more of an experience. Um, there's also some other ones. So there's one, a cool one about landmarks, um, that I'd love to play at higher player counts. So it has to do with like how many of the, when you're going up on the different tracks, if you're the first person to get into different sections, you get what's called a landmark. It's a nice Mm -hmm. big building. And, um, they're pretty cool, actually, and so there's a faction that works around them and having them on your on your player board. Uh, but I honestly think that because we're playing a two player, like I have a really good chance of getting the landmarks right. Um, yeah, and that
1: that seems a little little possibly the opposite overpowered, way. Yeah. right?
0: Um, and so what I would re- recommend is again knowing that and just seeing what kind of experience are you wanting to have with the people you're sitting around, because I found when I had a, a choice of um, of new f- of, of factions in my hand there were definitely some that i could be swingy one of those two ways but some other ones that you know what i'm just going to have a really good time tonight yeah. and so that's just the lens i would look at them from um sometimes so depending on what setting you're in you might have a hand where some are going to thrive potentially in a higher player count or a lower player count or some kind of like goldilocks it's going to be just right yeah
1: I I would also I I mean, having not played the plans employees, but just knowing how the factions in the base game worked um, would would just kind of encourage folks to really familiarize yourself with those factions before dealing them out, because there are definitely some factions that are just harder to yes. play as, um, and, and some that are just very easy to play as. So, um, yeah, that, that's excellent. I'm, I'm glad you've been able to get that to the table. It sounds like a couple times now. And yeah, yeah really excited to uh, get that one to the table myself.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what you think about it. And just to be honest, fully transparent, for me, the expansion wasn't about the new civilizations. Uh, like, I honestly would have been fine without them. Um, yeah. But it's just a nice little extra, honestly. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Josh, what about you?
1: So, I actually uh have had a chance. Let's uh let's start actually here. So, I had a chance <laughs> to play a game that has been on my list to play for a while. Ooh. It has been on the hotness on BGG for a while. Might say it's heating and, up. <laughs> you might say uh, Listeners will get the pun in a second. <laughs> that is Beyond the Sun. Uh ah. so Beyond the Sun is a game by Rio Grande games uh and beyond the sun bruce this may be my game of 2020 really it is phenomenal like absolutely i loved this game um it is all right sell me on it josh come on i'd have to go back and and replay some other ones but this is definitely up there in terms of games that were released in the last year. Okay, give a quick rundown and sell me on it. What's up? Beyond the Sun is a competitive game in which you are playing various factions exploring outer space. And the way you are doing that is you have kind of two boards. The main player board is basically a giant tech tree. yep, And you're taking actions to research different techs. And your starting texts. there's always four starting texts that are kind of your base that you always start with. And those are the first things that you're going to research. And they're face up and you pretty much always know where they're at. They're just going to be in different places on the board. But those types of texts are broken into four different categories. There's uh, military, economic, uh, scientific, and uh, I'm going to blank on the last one. Anyway, each of them are going to kind of take you down a different path uh, and give you some new actions whenever you research them. Well, when you get into tier two techs on that tech tree, those are all, you have some bonuses that are face down on the board at the start of the game and then a stack of cards. So when you are the first person to research a tech on the level two tech tree, You are going to take that bonus card, you're going to flip it over, and it's actually called an event card. And it's going to do something that maybe benefits just you, maybe benefits the whole table, maybe benefits the whole table, but you a little bit more, or uh, various different ways it could affect the game. Mm. So you have those event cards. But then you are also going to... So let's say I researched a... Military tech in level one and then an economic tech. And both of those were a prerequisite for a tier two tech that I researched. And so when I go to uh, research that tech, I have to declare whether I am researching a military or an economic tech. And then I begin flipping cards from the top of the uh, uh, tech pile for tier two technologies until I come up with two Technologies of the type that I chose. Okay. So if I chose military, I'm going to flip until I have two military tech cards, and then I'm going to look at those and I'm going to decide which of those two I'm going to research. Hmm. And then I'm going to play it on the board. And now that is the technology that is in that spot that everyone else has to research if they want to advance along that pathway on the tech tree. And so you're doing this competitive. Game in which you are cooperatively building this communal tech tree that everyone has to play on, huh in addition to that tech board, which is kind of one of the main focuses, the other main focus is this smaller sideboard where you are actually moving ships around that you are uh, moving around in in outer space um you know putting out outposts on different um, planets that you are kind of coming in contact with and then eventually trying to colonize them. The way that this game ends ultimately is there are four cards that are end game cards. Okay. And so those cards vary from game to game, but they could be things like achieve a tier four uh, achieve your first tier four technology. Uh, so, there are four tiers in the technology tree. So, if you get that, you take one of your little discs, you put it on that board or on that card to mark that you've completed it. Or it may be colonize four planets. Hmm. Uh, and so, whenever you've colonized four planets, you take your little disc and you put it on there. Okay. In a three player game, as soon as three players uh, or three of those discs are out there, that triggers the end game. So, you could end up foreseeably getting really really hurt by not being able to complete one of those in-game triggers because usually they're between three and four points
0: wait three total discs or three from one person
1: three total discs oh my gosh okay so it it ends pretty quickly yeah Uh, you start off like i don't see how we're going to get to this very soon i'd say we played through this game in about an hour and a half and that was while learning and playing i'd say a normal game of this you could probably get through in an hour um so a pretty relatively quick game for for what it is huh huh Uh, honestly looking at it i
0: wouldn't expect you to just said what you just said about an hour and a half it
1: it looks much more in depth it It does it does But Bruce, I have to tell you my favorite thing about this game or one of my favorite things about this game are actually the resources that you have. So this is a Rio Grande game. Rio Grande is not known for exceptional production quality, but they have integrated this use of die in this really interesting way. So you have a bunch of six sided dice uh, that are resource tokens. Uh, they start on your board, your player board in a series of columns as just a basic resource. And taking various actions, you can either convert those into people, uh, and you're going to use your people to research new technologies, you're going to use people to colonize new planets, or you can turn them into spaceships. <laughs> and the spaceships have a value of one through three. Okay. And so. That's actually how you determine who controls a a planet that is out in the solar system that hasn't been colonized. And actually, each planet card has a military cost that Mm. you have to achieve in order to be eligible to colonize it. So if you want to colonize a certain planet, you have to have at least four military uh, value on that planet. Hmm. and so it it, i everything about this game just clicked with me i just i really really enjoyed it uh it is relatively it start I, i i like that it is a very escalative game and what i mean by that is you start with really four choices of actions you can research a tier one technology You could research a Tier 2 technology, but technically you can't even take that action until you've researched a Tier 1 technology. You can recruit ships and fly them around in outer space, or you can just take income. Hmm. And those are your only options to start the game. As you advance down that technology tree, you're going to flip over new cards that allow you to take different actions. But you can only take the actions that you've researched. So my action choices are not necessarily the same as your action choices once you get a couple of rounds into the game. So it just, it has this really, really, you kind of set your own path, you make decisions that impact the way that other players are going to have to play the game. If Mm -hmm. they want to achieve certain goals, it's just, it, I, I just found this game to be absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I really want to get it back to the table very, very soon because there are some asymmetric player uh, abilities and setups that we didn't really get into Um, because they don't really recommend you do that on your first playthrough. Okay, so there is a
0: vanilla for the first playthrough of your player boards?
1: Yeah, so your player boards, um, your first playthrough, there are vanilla player boards. You do get some variable setup, and really all that is, is like one person starts with an extra spaceship on the board. One person starts with an extra uh, ore on the board. Um, And so... You just get some very, very minor tweaks for your first playthrough that don't really have a huge impact. Uh, Though, when you get to those, when you go into the like true variable player powers, there are some really, really cool player boards that we didn't get a chance to look at. Hmm. Well,
0: Josh, that sounds fascinating. And honestly, I did not expect what you just said from what I have seen of pictures of this game. I just need to say that. Right. Because yeah. like you said, the production value, it's it doesn't look the best, right? But I also don't get me wrong, I really love Food Chain Magnate, and that is known as one of the ugliest games ever, right? Um, so like I try to not you judge that by the cover, but it's hard not to, right? It's hard not to do that. But what I think is really fascinating, and absolutely I'm gonna give this a try, um, especially with what you just said about it. Um But what I think is really cool and I'm curious about this is so like one of the things, one of the many things I enjoy about like Twilight Imperium 4th edition is like I've got my little tech tree, right? That is one of the best examples of a tech tree that I knew before this game. Now with that, I have my tech tree for my civilization. You have your tech tree. We might build the same things, but this takes focuses in on that little tech tree and makes a communal tech tree. And by getting to the next level, you're really just getting to choose which of two cards. But you might not really want either of them. You're having to play one of them. And so the fact of having a communal tech tree is fascinating to me Um, and working towards that. And the fact that you said that, and I just want to layer this back and see see what your thoughts are on it. From what you described of the actions you can take. This game doesn't throw the tech tree at you like you don't know what you're going to get after you build fire, for example, I'm Just th- no. saying a random thing. So it's not like I have to think of the implications of fire leading to like nuclear weapons. Right. Um, so it sounds like it meaningfully layers out information to you in a digestible way, because I would worry about analysis paralysis with a, te- with a tech tree mm-hmm. when you have all the
1: options of where the things could go. But it doesn't sound like they do that at all. I don't really think you, I, yes, you can, I mean, I think every game sure. is, is has, has the potential for analysis paralysis. I don't think the potential is overly high in this. Uh, one of the things that you do get, you get a little player aid, and one of the things on that player aid is it actually tells you. So, for example, green cards are going to be really useful for, there's a system in the game called automating. Um, where basically you take your resource production um, little, there's little disks that cover up your resource production. And as you colonize planets or as you automate different systems, you can actually move those disks off of your production, allowing you to produce more ore ore or more people or whatever. And so like green, you know, if you really want to focus on automating your system, and being able to produce more goods, you might want to go down that green tech tree a little bit. Red is all about moving you around the solar system and, you know, gaining control over various um, planets that are out there. So if you know that you really want to focus on that military aspect, you want to go down that red uh, tech tree. Okay. And so it gives you some general guidance, but, just because you are you're actually selecting the way the cards are set up is really interesting there's actually two arrows there's an arrow that leads from where you just research and there's an arrow that leads to where you just research mm. so when you're drawing cards you're looking for the from arrow right so i'm re- researching military i'm going to draw until i have two cards that have red included in the possible two arrows but it could turn into a science and so now Uh, it's a blue arrow that points out instead of a red arrow interesting And so your tech tree can get pretty wonky and pretty weird but it's still you know really really well designed well i mean Um, that
0: makes sense because if you think about it like you can take a technology and have multiple applications. May it be economics or may it be warfare, etc. So that makes complete sense. Of oh, we're using this, but we're going to go more humanitarian for
1: a little bit. Um, yeah. So that's cool. Um, yeah. Definitely looking forward to trying that. Really, really highly recommend it. Um, I know it's kind of a. It can be kind of a challenge to get a hold of. I've been looking for it and yeah, haven't been. Keeps able to sold find it. out. Yeah, um, but I but, know some uh, people
0: here that have it, so I'll definitely be able to pick it up
1: definitely definitely worth worth your uh time to uh give that one a shot okay cool um
0: so one that's got a little bit of layers and kind of arrows made me want to go with this one um and it is a little harder to get a hold of because it was a kickstarter twice now um but i think it's coming to more retail very soon um because i think it's currently shipping to retailers right now Uh, but that is a war of whispers second edition by Starling Games. Um,
1: Josh, can you remind me? Did you back this? I did not back it. And I kick myself on a daily basis for not. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: well, when I eventually come to Colorado uh, post things, I'll, I'll bring this. Because um, it's real small, actually. It's a really thin box. Um, yeah. So War of Whispers, second edition. Shut up, sit down. Did a really great review of this from the first edition. Um and essentially they equated it to the now. Granted, subtract season eight off of this, but when Game of Thrones was good, um, this is the Game of Thrones board game, without it being like Westeros. Now, in Game of Thrones, there was two two characters, uh, Lord Varys and Littlefinger, right. And so they had their little spies all around the globe, essentially. And they could influence policy and military decisions or um, like sow discontent. And so what this its pretty cool. This board is a circular board. And there's five different factions. You are none of them. Yet you can be any of them you want. Now, what I mean by that is you have your own little player board, in front of you, that's visible to everybody, and you have five little tokens on your player board, and one each side of the one side of them is your player faction. They'll be they'll be face up, so everybody can see it. At the beginning of the game, you mix up all your tokens and you put them in each of the five spots randomly. You don't know which ones are there, and what happens is those tokens on the other side has each of the five factions in the world, and so what you're trying to do is. On your little player board, whichever faction you have in the leftmost spot of your player board is going to be worth like four times in victory points. The next one's worth one times. The middle one's like worth zero, and then the like the last one's worth like minus two um, per victory point that that faction earns at the end of the game. Uh, And so, what's fascinating is you have your little arrangement, and everybody else has their little arrangement, and we all have the same five discs but they could or may not be in the same order for all of us and so there's like a social deduction part of this where but it's really no pressure on you of you're trying to get your stronger factions the ones you get the most points for to get the most points at the end of the game but they might have a competing interest or a same interest and you got to try and figure that out so that way you can strategize which actions you're going to take Now, what's fascinating about this game, Josh, is depending on player count, uh, so the two-player game, we got three of our player markers, these little square player markers, that you place around the board, one at a a time. So I'd place one, then my wife would place one. Now, every one of those five factions has this little set of four spots where you could put that little token. And they're pretty much the same-ish going around. Now, one of the powers might be to put more cubes on the board, cubes or troops. Another one of those spaces might be to move that faction's cubes to another area to fight to conquer more space. Another one might be to draw cards off that little faction's draw deck, which you can play to get special bonuses. And then the last one is you can swap your player marker on that thing for a different open spot. And so what's fascinating is I might, let's say make more green army, right. And put them on the board. My wife might've taken the spot to move the green army. And so I might unintentionally be feeding her agenda because I use my influence to make, get them to get more troops I didn't use my influence to move those troops to fight in different places. So, better the game. Yet, well, yeah, go ahead.
1: Better yet, the thing I love about this game is that she could have taken that purely to take the troops you just created and suicide them into yep. an opposing army just to pre- eliminate the benefit and the gains that you just were. Right. gearing up towards making right so unlike
0: um, you're constantly thinking is she moving these pieces be- to further her agenda to fight off something else or is she moving them because she wants to just take away from mine or is she moving them because she has the same agenda as me but we're going about it in different ways so the interactions this game brings out are fascinating so the game only goes for four rounds That's it. Mm -hmm. And what's really cool, the start of a round, you take back in turn order one, just one of the three little squares that you had placed on the turn before. And you get two more from your supply and you're going to then, again, go around placing one square at a time. And so if you do the math, that means you now have five, if you're playing a two-player game, five little faction markers around the board for you. And so you can leave things that you're going to get to do every turn. Cause at the start of a round, you're going to take one of those back. So the, uh, then with the next one, so you'd have five, you took down, it was four, now three more. So seven. And so what's fascinating is how this game scales up and ramps up like real fast. Um, so at the beginning, the first two rounds, I'm like, Oh, there's not that much going on round three. I got decimated because she had laid some plans in round one that didn't take effect till round three of four rounds. Um, and so it was really cool. It was a really quick game. We played in less than an hour. Um, but the interactions and the, the fun that we had, I can't wait to play this at a higher player count At a higher player count. You're only placing two of those little squares. So your choices are easy, but meaningful. And I really enjoy when a game makes me have meaningful choices. However, the game is easy, easy to learn, super easy to learn. But at the end of the day, um the choices can be really cool to make.
1: Yeah, Bruce, I so I actually had a chance to play this for the second time you did. over the holidays uh with, with some friends that I got together with um while home for for the holidays. And yeah, absolutely. I, I agree a hundred percent with you on the ease of entry. Like barrier to entry is so low, yeah, uh, it, there are really like three concepts that you really have to explain to play this game, but the the decision points are so meaningful and so important and honestly become significantly more so at that higher player count. Mm, uh, so having to play the having a chance to play this with four people, it is really, really interesting. Uh, the one. I think knock sure and and don't get me wrong this is nitpicking to the nth degree because (laughs) this game is phenomenal but the only knock I would put against this is it is very possible to have the optimal setup yes and what I mean by that is you know you've won before anyone else flips anything or reveals anything you know that you've won because the uh faction that has the most you have the you have them in your number 1 slot the faction that has the least you have them in your least uh your lowest spot and like you just have managed to work this out perfectly now one thing and I Don't think you mentioned that I I think is really interesting is the reveal aspect. Yes. And so in between rounds, you can reveal one tile or two tiles that are on your board and swap them. And what that does is it guarantees you, like, oh, yellow is not going to win this game. And they're in my number one spot. I need to move them down. But green is doing really well and they're in my bottom spot. So I'm gonna flop the flip flop those two so that I can score points off of green and not and lose points off of yellow. And so that is really beneficial to you, but it also then tells your opponents here's some information about my board. Yep. I now need yellow to do really well and green to do really bad.
0: So you have a giant target uh, on you.
1: Yeah. Um. And, and so it, it is, it can be very, very interesting then when you are making some of those decision points to say, okay, I have to, you know, I know that you have yellow in your top spot and I have yellow in my second spot. So do I really want to give you the additional benefit just to give me a slightly lesser benefit sure um yeah it it, the but you can 100 percent, and you can also have tied games i think tied games can be pretty common in this uh if two players see what is going to happen and and push for for both of those things
0: and i agree with that yeah so that little reveal um thing is pretty cool um and sorry i forgot to mention that but Mm -hmm. um yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I can't wait to play it more. Um, I think I really enjoyed it two-player because it was like it was interesting to get in each other's heads a little bit because I don't have many games that can do that at two players, like a social deduction thing that's good at two players. Um, so yeah, so that was uh a War of Whispers second edition. I really like it. It definitely fits a hole in my game library that I didn't even know that I needed um and didn't know I didn't have and so like this there's definitely a niche for this that is going to make this stay in my collection for probably a long time um because it's it brings out some unique experiences that I don't have a game that will do that um absolutely so Bruce we're s- yeah
1: run quick before we move on one thing I want and it's out of stock everywhere and impossible to find if you can ever track down a copy of the game imperial 2030
0: i want that so bad
1: it is a heavier war of whispers set Ugh. in the real world where you are co- multinational corporations purchasing stock in nations basically Just using your monetary influence over them
0: josh last time you talked about that game i immediately for the last several months i've been searching for that game
1: it's it has been out of print for years. It is impossible to find, but I if you ever track a copy down, you have to give it a shot. It is Okay. It is next level war of whispers. Okay, and listeners,
0: if you have a copy or know where I can acquire a copy, reach out to me cuz I'd love to talk to you to try and make that happen. Um, Absolutely. So before we go into the last game we're going to talk about, um, I want to just reveal who won that uh, miniature market giveaway. And so drum roll wherever you are. Congratulations, DJ. Uh, DJ, you won the $30 miniature market giveaway that we're doing. Just say thank you um, for being a listener. And thank you for uh, supporting the show. And so be on the lookout for an email from me. Um, I'm going to be shooting that from uh, our board game impact email address. Just reply to that and congratulations. And I hope you get all the fun games that you are wanting to do with that or accessories or however you're wanting to spend that with miniature market. So yeah. So congrats DJ. So Josh hit us with that last one. And then after that, let's tell the listeners of what we're going to have on the next episode.
1: Absolutely. So the next game that I want to talk about here is actually another one that has been sticking around that hotness for quite a while now, uh, and that is Dwellings of Eldervale. And so uh, this is a game came out towards the tail end of 2020 by Breaking Games. Uh, Has taken a ton of... Uh, praise for absolutely phenomenal production value. In the game Dwellings of Eldervale, you play different factions. Um, So the factions are based on different elements. So there's a light faction and a dark faction and an order faction and a chaos faction, uh, fire, water, um, earth, and wind or air uh and you choose one of those factions to be the uh, avatar right <laughs> yes to be the avatar <laughs> um what does an avatar of darkness do i'm very very interested <laughs> that would be interesting. Um, so you are uh controlling one of these different factions and you are trying to build dwellings in elder The way that you are doing that is the board, uh, you start off, it's a bunch of hex tiles. You start off with um, a handful of tiles set up in various ways, depending on your player count. Uh, And then you have a stack of hex tiles that can be explored throughout the game. When you take an action, you are going to place one of your workers onto a hex tile. And there are the faction-based hex tiles, which will just give you resources. Um, So I go to this place and I get two gems. And so I take those two gems or there are some other specialty tiles that are called layers. Um, Some of those will let you do various different things. One of them will let you purchase cards to build your tableau um, and then also draw a new tile to add to the board Um, And then there are other ones that will allow you to change goods for gold, which is a wild good or change goods for magic cards and spells that you can use on your turn to kind of combo effects and different things like that. Um, You are also going to be fighting in this game. So if you ever place a worker on the same place as an opponent's worker Uh, You trigger a combat and the first thing that happens in a combat is kind of blood rage style Mm. when the combat is triggered. Everyone who has not just the people who are involved directly in that combat immediately, but anyone who has a worker within the kind of inner ring around that hex can choose in player order whether to join combat or not. That is very blood ragey. Yes. Uh, once everyone has done that, uh, you're going to roll dice given the value of your uh, uh, of your units in that space. And so, uh, you have some special units. There's a drag. Each person has a dragon, a wizard, and a warrior, plus some workers. Uh, generally speaking, there are some special abilities among the factions that give differences. But generally speaking, your dragon gets you two, three dice. Your warrior gives you two dice. Your wizards and your workers give you one dice. Hmm. Uh, And you're going to roll those dice. And basically what you're going to do is you're going to rank your dice rolls from top to bottom. And compare them to your opponents who are doing the same. And so highest die value wins so if i rolled a six and bruce we were fighting and you only rolled your highest die was a four it doesn't matter what else you rolled your highest die is the only thing that matters i win because i rolled a six okay um if we tied we go to our next die right and so if i rolled a six and a two and you rolled a six and a four you would win because your second die was higher than my second die. Okay. Um, Likewise, there are monsters that are going to be coming out and roaming around the boards. And these have some phenomenally designed miniatures. And if you get the super deluxe edition, there's actually some stands that when you place them on the board, they make noises uh, to mimic the monsters. It's ridiculously overproduced (laughs) and really, really fun and cool but absolutely unnecessary um so that can be fun that, that's fun it, it is it is fun it is fun uh we we got to play with one of those editions, and it's kind of fun to just like slam the piece down on the board and hear this massive dinosaur roar as it comes out <laughs> um and they're also going to uh attack people uh, whenever you place close to them, they're going to come in and attack you. And then again, you're going to roll your dice, all of those types of things. Okay. Um, The game is going to end when one of two things happens either. Oh, sorry. I forgot to mention about dwellings because this is about building dwellings. Uh, one of your actions that you can do is to, Turn your workers into dwellings, um, and to do that, you have to give up a certain amount of resources based on the tile that you're trying to build a dwelling on. And there's this like little rubber cap that you can actually fit on top of your meeple. Oh my gosh! Uh, that converts it from a, a person meeple into a house meeple. Hmm. Um, again, kind of cool, kind of fun. It's a little bit of a, 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 in my opinion, a gimmicky overproduction thing. Well, but Trogdor did that one first. <laughs> did I have not played Trogdor, so I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, similar. It, it's very, very, it's cute. It's fun. It's cool. I don't know that it was worth what I'm sure the cost to design and produce and all of that was for it. I'm sure they could have done it cheaper by just giving you some house meeples in addition to sure. uh, worker meeples but um again nitpicking aside you're you're just kind of that's kind of one of the main ways that you're going to be scoring some points in this game Mm. um you're also tableau building uh, Mm. and the way that your tableau works is whenever you no longer have workers to place you're going to retrieve workers now you're retrieving workers from one of two places if your workers died in battle they went to the underworld and you're bringing them back and they just come into your worker pool. You can't use them to trigger your tableau. However, workers that are still on the board, when you pull back, you can use them to trigger uh, abilities on your tableau that you're building out that will give you some more resources that will give you um, some special abilities and, and some end game points and things like that um really really heavy very complex game we actually played this on the same night as beyond the sun and whereas beyond the sun took us an hour and a half to learn and play dwellings of elder vale took us close to an hour to learn wow
0: it's very i would
1: say i would say we didn't even really know what we were doing when we started that game (laughs) um so Really, really heavy, very complex, a whole lot going on, a million ways to score points and make mistakes and do different things. It's just a very, very complicated game. Hmm. This has been going gangbusters over on yeah. BGG. People are obsessed with it. And I got to tell you, Bruce, it's okay. Okay. Oh. Um it's a good game sure it's not i don't think it's great it's a lot of the things you do are fun um in my opinion i think it kind of suffers a little bit from two pieces i think there's too much in the game personally
0: i was about to ask you Um,
1: you could have knocked off about five different mechanics and had a really really solid game The thing that I think irritates me more than anything, though, that frustrates me beyond all belief, I could reasonably send my dragon and my warrior and three of my workers into a combat against your one worker, and I get a really bad dice roll, and You get a really good dice roll. You roll a six on your one die. I have six dice that I'm rolling, and I didn't roll a six. I lose all of my people.
0: Wait, from the one roll? From the one roll. Oh, I did not realize that till you just said that.
1: And you get to keep your one worker. And so... Now, you there's a little bit of a payoff. You get to collect swords, which are a resource, which you can also use in future battles to add to your dice roll. But again, if you're just rolling poorly, that hurts a lot. (laughs) And there's not a good way to come back from it. It really means that you've wasted your action in a lot, in more ways than one, because now you can't trigger your tableau, at all like there's it's just really really unfortunate you gotta build all those resources back up all that kind of stuff
0: and so you're telling me just to be clear so if you send all this stuff in to fight and there's one mm -hmm. roll they roll one die you roll six of them and if their one die is higher all of your stuff gets wiped out to really just get you a bonus for next time you roll which you could roll low again
1: yeah Okay, just want to make sure that, I heard that, that, right? That resource can also be used for other purposes. It can get you some cards and some other things like that. So it's not like you only use that resource for rolling dice. Okay,
0: cool. Just want to make sense, make sure. But it still doesn't feel good.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. it, it still doesn't feel satisfying. Um, you know, and, and there are... I, I recognize that I am... A style of gamer that very much dislikes any amount of randomness in a game um, that it can't be mitigated for. And there are a handful of cards and abilities and things like that that can semi-mitigate for dice rolls. But they're few and far between in a pretty massive deck of cards. Um, So... I don't think there's enough mitigation ability on your dice rolls uh, at the end of the day, and so yeah, I again, I think it's a good game. Would I play if if someone brought it over and said I really want to play this game? Would I play it again? Absolutely. Um, but but it it was an okay game in my book. I, I didn't find this to be the gangbusters game that everyone on. BGG has kind of sold it out to be. Um, It is beautiful. It may be one of the most beautifully designed and produced games from an aesthetic perspective that I have seen in an age. Um, The miniatures are phenomenal. Those little bases that make noises, they're cool and fun and unique. No one really does that. But in terms of gameplay, it just didn't do it for me. And, and
0: I really appreciate you diving deep on this. Um, so, when I hear, I hear what you're saying about luck and things like that, for me, just to be clear, for me, luck, if I can tell a story with it, mm-hmm. I'm okay with it, right? Like, for me, it's like, I'm sending this epic dragon, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Against you, peasant. I'm going to burn you alive. And maybe the peasant survives around. Mm-hmm. but if the peasant can wipe out the dragon all my knights and everything else with a die roll with one die roll, I just did yeah. all this build up for a moment that really can leave a, ne- a negative lasting memory. Right. So I yeah. love when games have a memory, like memory moments. Um, mm-hmm. even if the first time you try that peasant survived and can killed your, it killed the dragon, but the, the people get the swing in right. Or vice versa whatever. Um, so I think this sounds like from what you're telling me for our listeners, it's really a it's a commitment game of mm-hmm. with setting all that stuff up is going to take time. You're committing yeah. to a pretty robust rule set to try and understand everything that's going on. So you're probably a couple hours in at that point. And then you're also committing to this is the landscape of what the this is going to work. Like you might build all this up, but you need to understand that a dice roll can take it away. Yeah. Um, and so I really appreciate you diving into that because I think there was a lot to unpack there. There was, um, and it has been hitting the hotness and I can completely see how beautiful and all that kinds of stuff it is. Um, but I think you're right. I think it suffers from building up to something and then, but there isn't a thing at the end of that. Yeah, and, and I, I think I, the bloat can get to it.
1: Yeah, I will say, like in terms of losing a battle, like your turns are pretty quick. You're pretty, sure. like generally speaking, you only have about four to five workers at any given point in time because you're trying to convert your workers into dwellings. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, losing a battle isn't the end of the world. It just doesn't, and I don't think it tells a good story. Is the other that's thing. what yeah. Yeah. And I'm not um, just saying the battle. I'm just saying in general, I think
0: yeah. you need to know that the things you do might seem like you're building up to something, but you might not be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's a I, I think it's a fun little dice chucker in some respects. I think it would have been better if it was just a little dice chucker or if it didn't have some of the other pieces to it. Um, but you know, I, I, I think it's worth checking out. Um, I don't think it's worth spending 200 and something dollars that the deluxe edition is going for right now. Um, But that's just me personally. Yeah. And again, I appreciate the diet. This is why we do this, right? To unpack these
0: things, see what's going on. So that way, you know what you might be in for if you're wanting to spend that $200. Um, So with that, let's just give a quick little tease um, because we said we're going to be talking about it in the last episode of It's Coming. Mm -hmm. And so that is in the next episode, we're going to be doing a deep dive into Dune Imperium. Um, and because we, we've both been looking playing that to that. Yeah. I am very much looking forward to that. Um, and cause I've been playing it a number of times. I've also watched people play it cause I finished my games early um, and <laughs> they were playing it on tabletop simulator. But I've been playing it in person, Josh, you've been playing it um, and seeing it. And so, yeah, so that's what you got for the next one coming up. So it's definitely, Listen for that in two weeks, uh, Josh. Do you have anything in closing for
1: our, everybody listening? Uh, no, uh, thank you, everyone, for for tuning in for another episode. Really happy to have you all here with us. Um, twenty twenty one going to be a better game for better year for gaming. Yes, uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed and keep keep that mantra going. Um, we're going to play more games. We're going to get together at some point. Uh, and gather as a community once again. So um, looking forward to another year of some great games. Thank you all for joining us and and we look forward to seeing you next time.
0: Yeah, and so thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like this, please tell a friend about Board Game Impact so that way they can learn about all the cool stuff to help improve their gaming and figure out what games might be good for them to be getting to the table and purchasing so that way you can also experience them. Um, But with that, also hop on over to Facebook or Instagram. Follow us uh, at Board Game Impact. Uh, Make sure to like the Facebook page. Um, and then also, if you want to connect with us more, you can always shoot us an email, boardgameimpact at gmail.com. The email I'm going to be sending that little congrats to DJ with. Um, but also, you can support us if you if you enjoy this content and want us to keep doing more of this content. Please go on over to patreon.com slash boardgameimpact. And just support. That $1 level really means a whole lot to us. Because uh, it helps cover the cost of all of our hosting and everything like that for the show. Um, so, yeah. So, make sure to go out play some great games safely um we can't wait to continue talking we actually cut down our list we only covered about half of the list um because of the vast number of games we've been able to play so we can't wait to talk about even more on an upcoming episode so until then go make your positive impact on the world